Hey guys, everybody out there in podcast land, it's your favourite boys here, it's Marvelous Podcast with and it's Das Acton Kid Brian Bradshaw over there. And um, we are going to start off this podcast with a bit of an apology because of the um, Clash of the Champions watch along that we hoped we were going to give to you. Unfortunately, as you may have seen on the social media channels, it kind of fell by the wayside and it's now called Crash of the Champions because my computer absolutely fell in the toilet, metaphorically, not literally. Of course, we're going to carry on. We've, we've managed to source a new computer, source some new software and everything like that. So we're just going to carry on in, in the WCW timeline. However, myself and Brian have to have the discussion and uh, we've decided that what we're going to do now is we're going to give you a live watch along for Super Brawl 6, which is the pay-per-view that is coming up next, uh, just after the two Nitros that we're going to review for you now. Considering the way that the crash of the champions went, Brian, now I'm devastated that we couldn't share it with people because I really enjoyed recording that episode with you i thought we had a lot of fun and i'm hoping that one day we'll be able to bring it to the to the people out there high hopes for super bowl six yeah uh like you say um clash of the champions was a very very big surprise we had an absolute ball watching it um very unexpected and i am absolutely devastated that that episode has gone to live with the podcasting gods uh, hopefully, as you say, we can recover it and the people will be able to enjoy it. Um, really looking forward to doing another watch along with Super Bowl. Uh, just the idea that there could be a, a few few very good surprises and and just because it's different from what we usually do as well. Like because we're actually watching it together and it, it's like a, a live running commentary. It just adds that element of fun. We can just talk fun as it's going along. It's, you know, it, it does seem like the daftest idea, but I, I I think, I think the listeners will enjoy it. I really do. Yeah, the, the unfortunate thing is what I'll do now is I'll sort of go through the results from it and the um, couple of little incidents that happened as well, so we can have a little bit of a nostalgic run down the uh, card. So basically, we had a dark match at the beginning, which obviously we didn't see, which is Lord Steven Regal defeating Chris Benoit. And then we kicked off the show with the Nasty Boys, Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags versus Public Enemy, who were Johnny Grunge and Rock Rock. Uh, we went through that. That was four minutes and it ended in a double DQ, which we actually didn't know at the time. Uh, there was some pretty funny stuff stuff happening in that uh, match, Brian. We were shitting on it right throughout up until the yeah. end. <laughs> we, we saw one of the worst table botches I think I've ever seen, but it was so fucking funny. Yeah, one of the worst table botches, but one of the best recoveries from a table botch I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can go into detail because you know we're carrying on in the in the uh, in the in the plot anyway, and you know if if nobody ever gets to hear that podcast episode, we may as well just detail everything that happened. But yeah, as Brian said, I I had a lot of fun with this, and like Brian said just then as well, we we shit on this match as soon as the nasty boys came out. I just said, oh fuck, I'm not in, I'm not interested. Public Enemy came out, I was like, I'm really not interested. It only lasted four minutes, and f- after three and a half minutes, I was like, "This is fucking awesome." It was the the pure definition of a clusterfuck, but in the <laughs> best way possible. It's kind of like um, seeing seeing a car crash, but you know everyone survived. You just have to have a nausea in just to see the wreckage. You know, it, yeah. it, it was kind of like that, but not not as morbid i suppose but no. you know because we know it was in canon it was in kayfabe and we, we know that nobody came away from that well hopefully nobody came, came away from that significantly hurt but yeah it, it was just, <laughs> it was just so funny 
It was such a fun match. I love how you're laughing about the thought of it already. So basically what happened at the end was um, one of the nasty boys, I think, brought the decorating table down. So it wasn't even like a, a wrestling gimmick table. Brought it down, decided that they were going to go through what a top rope splash through the table. The table didn't break. Um, he ended up pulling the table over. And then whoever was on the outside of the ring ended up getting the table wrapped around their head from whoever was inside the ring, just throwing the table at them. And it was just fucking... It was good impromptu sort of something to do because we were like we were saying when we were recording the episode, if a table don't break, you feel kind of disappointed. So just go and wrap it around somebody else's head. It's fine. Yeah. Um, and, and not to like um, make light of it because it could have been more serious than what it were. But if you actually watch it, you realise that it was safe enough. You know there was no, yeah. no long-term damage there. It was, it was like watching a Tom and Jerry skit uh, Tom and Jerry cartoon it was fucking brilliant I, yeah. I I highly recommend if you've just got a few minutes of your time you know maybe you're on your break at work maybe you're on the bus just load up the network and watch that match you will not be disappointed no just for a laugh just for a laugh next up in this one we'd have Dean Malenko defeating Alex Wright in, in arguably the match of the night not much you can say about Dean Malenko and Alex Wright that hasn't already been said uh, we really enjoyed that one I know Alex Wright, the one thing that always sticks out with Alex Wright into the, in, in these matches is the drop kick head scissors. I always mark out for it like an idiot. And Dean Malenko, obviously, just the machine in the ring. Uh, it obviously stems back from Saturday night, the week before, where Dean Malenko refused to let go of the Texas Cloverleaf. So this was kind of like the grudge match from Saturday night. And yeah, it was a, it was a decent fight, really. Yeah, it's in hindsight... It didn't live up to the standards of what we've seen before, but yeah. that's not really a knock on it. It was still a very good match. Like yeah. uh, usually, what we can expect the all standard, uh, the, sorry, the, the standard of cruiserweight matches are if they're a bad match, they're still a good match. Yeah, definitely. And it, there, there was always that hope as well that obviously they'd had the match on Saturday night. They were having the match on this Clash of the Champions that they might actually carry it forward and just have a series of matches. Which you know, when you when you look back at all of them, it would have made it a, a fairly decent feud for the pair of them. Especially if you're getting some TV time as well, because we, you know we we love these two when they're on TV. Um, that was that was five minutes twenty nine. That's all that lasted for, and Dimalenko got the win. Um, next up, this this again, it's just there's a lot of comedy in this, uh, and it's really worth a watch. So the Taskmaster with Jimmy Hart defeated quote unquote Disco Inferno uh, by a ref decision. It's Disco Inferno didn't show up for the match. It was an Elvis Presley impersonator who who came down singing a message from Disco Inferno, and Kevin Sullivan just proceeded to whack the shit out of him. What did he? he, he what was he eating again, Brian? Do you remember? I had I actually forgot what he was eating. Was yeah. he eating a burger? He was eating some sort of burger. Yeah, and I remember yes. Bobby the Brain Heenan saying it was something else. Like <laughs> I, I can't remember for the life of me. But basically, yeah, um, the Elvis impersonator just got whacked by. Uh, the Taskmaster, and that's basically the end of it. But it was it was a good a good couple of minutes sort of comedy, and then next up we had Brian Pillman defeating Eddie Guerrero in uh, almost six minutes, like dead on six minutes actually. Uh, that was another one that I, I kind of expected a little bit more, but it was one that's it's worth watching again because it's two two stars that we really enjoy watching on TV. Again, like even the worst cruiserweight matches are still pretty good, and that was. A- Still a good match. It was just, 
I, I think the precedent that was set on this show was if you're not in the main event, you, you're going to have a very, very short match. And it's up to you to do as much as you can with that time. And credit to every single performer on that show, um, on the undercard, because they, they maximise their minutes. Every single one. Yeah. The tag team champions Lex Luger and Sting defeated the Blue Bloods, who were Earl Robert Eaton and Lord Stephen Regal, to retain the WCW World Tag Team Championships in 7 minutes 47 seconds. This is another one that we kind of enjoyed, purely because of Stephen Regal, William Regal, as many people might know him as. Um, facial expressions, flippity flops on the on the floor, his ways of selling, uh, all round entertainer. Really, really enjoyed that match. It's not not a classic, but it's classic Regal. Yeah, masterclass in slapstick comedy. Yeah, definitely. Which is, it's in uh, William Regal's roots. Is that you know it, it, his whole philosophy is you go out, he goes out there, and he just wants to make people laugh. Yeah, and he always does that. Next up, we had Conan, who was the Mexican champion, uh, defeating Psychosis to retain the Mexican heavyweight championship in 5 minutes and 26. Uh, I detailed on that that I, I really like Psychosis uh, when I was growing up. I watched WCW, I fucking love Psychosis, honestly. It was one of my favourites. And Conan looked really fucking good here. Uh, he just physically looked really, really good. He was more agile as well than what I was used to seeing him as in the Filthy Animals, for example, and especially like in TNA and all that sort of stuff. Again, it's not something that I expected because I'm so used to seeing these WCW cruiserweight matches and even seeing Psycho, uh, sorry, seeing Conan in these cruiserweight matches where there's so much happening at one time. This didn't fall flat, but it didn't it didn't set the world alight either. It was a good taster, a good teaser of what is about to come in WCW. Uh, but generally, just it's a little bit of international fodder for WCW. I think I think that's the reason why Bishop put it in there. Do you think? Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, but uh, next, I, I did say to you that I don't, I only really know psychosis from the very very few bit parts that they had in TNA and the very very awful Mexico's gimmick that he had in WWE. So I've never really seen him at his best. And what we saw of him in this match, he was absolutely brilliant. Like it was just something different from what I've seen before. Yeah. You'll see better. You'll see better and better. Believe yeah. me, you will. You can you can tell he's unique in himself. Yeah, you know when he gets to lace up the boots against people like Ubito Guerrero and and Rey Mysterio Jr. and oh, you're in for such a treat. It's really good. Um, even Eddie Guerrero as well. So next up, what you're going to see uh, Ric Flair and the Giant, who came out with Jimmy Hart defeating Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, who came out with Kevin Green and the returning Miss Elizabeth. Uh, that went on for nine minutes and fifty two, as you said. The main event always gets the, gets the light shine, shined on it, and we 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 can di- we can dissect this if we want. But I was here for the undercard. I wasn't here for this this main event. Great to see Liz back, obviously, and it's always it's always good to see what Randy Savage is going to pull on this week. It was interesting to see Ric Flair and the Giant so cohesive, and we're going to detail that more on this episode, obviously, with the Naturals as well. But yeah, it's quite a surprise, really, to see him going over Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, isn't it, really? Yeah. I, again, it wasn't really a special match, by any no. means. It, it it was just... It was there as a means to further a storyline. Yeah, it was. And there was one last match at the end, which, we, again, we didn't get to see, which was a dark match, and it was One Man Gang, who was the United States champion, defeating Disco Inferno, who had managed to turn up to this one. One Man Gang uh, retained the WCW United States Championship in 6 minutes and 16 seconds. 
Um, there were segments in between, but we're going to detail the segments as we're going through this Nitro to sort of give it a little bit of context. Uh, but finally, what I will say is that the Clash of the Champions on TBS has got 4.5 rating, which is the highest rated WCW show that we've that we've covered basically, like by a and, long shot. And boy, do they brag about it! <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. And they deserve to. They really do deserve to. We enjoyed it, and I can't say that we're going to enjoy these Nitros, but you'll find out at the end if we did or not. So I have the pleasure of absolutely jumping straight into Nitro number 22, January 29th, 1996 from Canton in Ohio. And right off the bat, we are told that it's Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan to start this episode of Nitro. Now, I wanted to ask you, Brian, because the last time we did a podcast, you were you were complaining that... I was complaining as well, obviously, that Hulk Hogan was in the main event and he was against Meng and it kind of worked well for WCW. And then the next week, Hulk Hogan was in the main event against One Man Gang and it didn't work out so well in the ratings. So this week, we've decided, okay, the two biggest stars in wrestling in 1996, Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan, after the Clash of the Champions fallout, why the fuck not? Yeah, the, the first thing I actually wrote to my nose was, surprise, Hogan isn't in the main event, thank fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm all for it, not going to lie. There's also a little bit of detail from the commentators who say that Sherry and Medusa... Uh, we'll face off two from their Clash of the Champions fallout. And again, I'll go into detail when that match actually comes. So, into Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan. It's such a strong way to start off Nitro, if you if you, if you you ask me. Hulk's accompanied by Linda Belaya, his wife, obviously, woman, and Deborah McMichael. Again, we get to see Miss Elizabeth giving her own sort of announcement by Dave Penzer this time, while Hulk's music is still playing in the background. Flair, of course, has Jimmy Hart in his corner. And there's a pretty vocal crowd in Ohio tonight, especially for this match. Of course, you're going to be if you see these two, really. It doesn't, it doesn't, I don't think it matters who you are, really. Mongo says this is a Super Bowl match. And when I actually heard that, I scoffed. But in hindsight, it really is, isn't it? If, if you are a wrestling fan and you are flipping through the channel and you see that the, ma- the match uh, on TV is Hulk Hogan versus Rick Flair, you are going to sit up and take notice. Even yeah. if you're on the like slightly knowledgeable of wrestling and you just have like a very slight interest if you see those names you're gonna watch yeah it certainly caters to a more um yeah i'd say very casual audience casual yeah that'd be the word that we're looking for um there's nothing much of note other than rick calling all the shots when it comes to the matches and i actually spent a lot of time in this match watching rick's lip movements to see if he was calling all the moves and stuff because Generally, in Ric Flair matches, that's usually what happens. But I specifically get some satisfaction out of Ric Flair calling all the moves when it is against Hulk Hogan. It's just that little, you know, shot at Hulk Hogan, like, you can't even call moves in a ring. So fucking shit you are. <laughs> anyway, enough of my bitterness. We head to a break just as the referee stops Hogan punching Flair with a closed hand, allowing Flair to get the advantage with a cheap shot to the knee. Coming back from the break, it's all Flair chops, but Hogan quickly gets the upper hand only for Flair to brilliantly get it get cheap heat as he's just so fucking good at doing uh jimmy hart attempts to hold on to hogan's leg while he's down on the mat but he gets kicked off to, onto the outside onto the guardrail i think he went onto actually and Fleur showboating allows hogan to get the advantage again a few punches in the corner and Fleur's up and over in the corner also allows for a clothesline to the outside Fleur again somehow manages to get the advantage whilst he's on the outside because he's just a master out there jimmy hart now manages to get something around hogan's neck for the choke when hogan is out of the ring again and Flair has the referee distracted. Really good heat, but it does make you wonder what Elizabeth is doing out here while all this is going on. She's just just sort of standing around, not doing anything. Um, the, other, the other ladies seem to have disappeared into the back. Uh, obviously, Woman and Deborah and Linda. 
after a, another bit of outside heat, Fleur slaps on a figure four that Hogan sells big four, to be fair to him. Uh, there's moderate chance of Hogan, 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 which fuels the reversal, uh, which is successful, but Hogan is struggling. Obviously, the bum knee. Uh, Hogan reverses a vertical suplex and delivers his own, absorbing right hands, and chops shortly after. He fires Fleur in, but Fleur delivers a big elbow to the face uh, to slow down the comeback for Hogan. A side, slu a side suplex throws Hogan into an epileptic fit on the mat. That old thing that Kevin Sullivan... All I see now is Kevin Sullivan just fitting on the floor. <laughs> uh, Flair then goes out and taunts Liz and goes for the pin, but Hogan kicks out big and starts to hulk up. I always wonder if people... If, if people just don't punch him anymore, what's he going to do? Like, I, think, I Hogan, think Mongo calls him out on that, just saying, don't punch him. Just don't punch him. <laughs> there you go, then. <laughs> Exposing the fucking business, Mongo. <laughs> I do expect him to sort of stop though like if you just stop punching him then he's just you know like the old wrestling games maybe your momentum meter is just going to go fall flat because you're not actually doing anything it's a big boot, it's a leg drop, it's a cover but Jimmy's up perfectly to distract the referee absolutely climbing all over the ropes and allows Arn Anderson in I think he's got the brass knucks in his left hand but he's taken care of, Jimmy Hart grabs Elizabeth on the outside and the con uh, to confiscate her high heel and Floyd jams it into Hogan's eye for a very cheap win. And as the three celebrate in the ring match, man is down to check on Hogan, who has blood on his face to sell the shoe shot. So, quite a bit to unpack there, but we'll start, obviously, with the finish. Um, jamming somebody's high heel stiletto into somebody else's eye. Ouch. It's a new one. Yeah, very, very painful sounding. I'm just wondering if this is going to lead to Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan in an eye for an eye match. <laughs> uh, maybe that's something WWE have copied um, and, and to be honest with you I'm kind of hoping that's the case I mean uh, not, not, that, not that the match that was on WWE pay-per-view was of any interest to me in fact I, was, I didn't even watch I just laughed at the idea um, I would happily watch a 60 minute classic of Rick Flair just trying to pull Hulk Hogan's eye out <laughs> no, if it hap if if the inevitable happens, you know he pull he eventually pulls his eye out, even better. But I'd I'd watch that, I'd watch that. I'd I'd probably be more invested in that than anything on WWE TV in the last twenty years. It's the first match of the podcast episode, and already have gone extremely dark. <laughs> Nothing more to add to that. Nothing more to say. I'm just Nothing stating the obvious. That's basically it. Yes. Um. Also, just as as a side note, I've just literally I'm looking out my window now and I can see a thunderstorm coming. Oh dear! <laughs> so I don't know if that's going to affect sound or if it happens, we're we're going to carry on because we're we're just flying through this timeline now. Again, we we managed to not deliver on our last promised episode, so we're going to fly through this come wind, rain, or thunderstorm. So next up, we're going to have the Faces of Fear, who are Barbarian and Meng versus the Road Warriors. Um, the Faces of Fear are still under the. Dungeon of Dragon. Dungeon of Dragon? What the fuck are you going on about? The Dungeon, Dungeon of, of Doom. Doom moniker, but they they're their own team. Uh, they're their own team in their own right, basically. Um Faces are free, or you they're gonna be around for a while, to be fair. Um Yeah, we're gonna say something. Yeah, I was actually uh, gonna point out there was 
uh, quite a funny exchange on commentary. They're talking about the ratings from Clash of the Champions, and Mongo is just sassing uh, Bobby the Brain, uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan, is going, "It's great being on top. I've been there before. I know you haven't, Brain. How do you feel?" <laughs> <laughs> Brain's first, Brain's first response is, "I like it." <laughs> There's some, there is some nuggets here. There is some real gems when it comes to commentary. Actually, I'm looking forward to uh, to bringing these up later on. There's some oh, yes. really fucking good ones. Brain is fucking brilliant throughout yeah. this match. He is on top form. Well, if it's this match in particular, you might have to uh, you might have to take the lead in terms of the commentary because all I've written is the is the moves. And to be fair, it's I've not written that much. But yeah, uh, I'll, I'll fly through the match and then if you've got any tidbits of commentary that you can share, we'll absolutely fucking go for it. You know what I mean? I've got two. Um, excellent. So we get a quick quick advert for Super Bowl six, but we didn't actually see a trailer for this one. And they said that there's a double cage. There's double cage action coming your way, apparently. So that's like, ooh, okay. Um, Is that not War Games? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But Super Bowl didn't have War Games. So I'm intrigued. No, that's, and it weren't that long ago since they had a War Games match. So it would be like just repeating the idea for the sake of idea. It's... I, I would be a little bit disappointed if that was the case. Yeah, but. yeah. Um, again, Super Bowl Six isn't a pay-per-view that I've watched. Uh, it's a pay-per-view that we will be covering and we will be doing a live watch-long with. So be sure to check us out next week when we uh, when we get that one uploaded because I think we're going to have a lot of fun with that. So this is the first time we're seeing the Road Warriors on Nitro in a while, given Animal's back. And there's uh, quite a few LOD chants in the... In the uh, audience, obviously re- ref- referring to their uh, other name. <laughs> yeah, I was confused by this because I could have sworn the Legion of Doom was a WWE copyright that they came up with that moniker. Now, I did a little bit of research and apparently they did have um, that name back in the NWA. It was a part of the stable that Paul Ellering um, managed right. and it was very, 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 very short-lived. It was almost as if it didn't make it to TV. Um but I, I still believe that WWE, at least up until a couple of years ago, owned that copyright. So I'd be very surprised because, uh, if if WCW had any license to use it at this point. Well, they were chants, weren't they? So if it, it doesn't matter what the fans are doing, that you can't control the fans. No, but Eric Bischoff calls them the Legion of Doom. Yeah, um, there's a certain limit you can go to when you're saying things uh, Eric Bischoff also says WWF it's things like that There's, you're allowed to use names in certain ways um, I'm not entirely privy to it you can't just basically be sued because you've said somebody's name on commentary, it's not the way that it works because obviously they were doing it with Alundra Blaze dropping the WWF championship in the bin and there's a certain limit you're allowed to go to without any sort of repercussion uh, but I think saying Legion of Doom I think you're allowed to do that because that's something that they were previously known as Okay, so yeah, Hawk takes a power driver for Meng, but he's lit- literally just s- s- straight back up, straight back up uh, yeah. against the hardest man no in wrestling. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> exposing the business. <laughs> I think that's what makes this match fun is the fact that this is two. T- these are two teams that just do not like to sell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's literally straight back up, and he he gets a big clothesline and a power slam on Meng. I almost called him Haku then. Don't know, <laughs> which is no small feat whatsoever. Uh, Hawk is jacked up, uh, looking really, really good in this match. I thought uh, Animal takes a lot of the punishment for a guy with a bad back, with power bombs and you know whips into the corner and all sorts. While Hawk is given all the hot momentum, 
It's annoying that the referee is incredibly slow with his count when it comes to the pinfalls, though. Like, seriously slow. Yeah, I think Mongo calls him out for it. And I'm like, yeah, about fucking time. About fucking time. It's Heenan. Heenan does. Oh, oh it's Heenan that does it. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, Heenan picks but, up on um, the slow counts, but Bischoff is quick to attempt to gloss over it. Yeah. Speaking of Bobby the Brain Heenan, he actually has one of his little golden nuggets here. He says, maybe the Road Warriors can tour with Billy Ray Cyrus and sing Aki Breaky Back. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know why that made me laugh so much. I think I think it was because uh, straight afterwards I thought of Aki Breaky Pelvis from Ho- uh, from Homer in The Simpsons. <laughs> Just a, a, a little bit of good wordplay, I think. Yeah. I was going to mention then, actually, uh, you remember we were talking about Bobby Heenan getting busted with a lot of weed? Oh, yes. So I asked uh, Alan Cheapshot, is it, on Twitter? Um, big oh, shout out Alan, to him. yes. I asked him this afternoon because it popped into my head and I realised, obviously, we're recording this podcast. Where did I see this story and do you have any information? He sent me two press cuttings that both confirm that Bobby Heenan was caught with 48.4 grams of weed in his uh, in his bag after he got off a plane in Florida, completely unconscious, comatose, taken to the hospital, and the doctors instructed that the airport security rummage through his bag to see if he was on any sort of medication. It turned out he had 48 grams. He was subsequently arrested. <laughs> Fucking hell. And this was back in his WWF days. It wasn't... So we were oh speculating about his WCW days. We're like, yeah, I can understand him being high for most of WCW, but this was back in his WWF days, man. So we got got a little bit of research out there on that one from a previous um, a previous story that we didn't know much about, but yeah, it's so funny. It's just to, the thing is, as well, he was so unresponsive. Like they they rushed him to hospital thinking he was dead. It's just fucking mind blowing, mind blowing that somebody can get themselves into that sort of state. I I should say, if you're on Twitter, follow Alan Cheapshot. He's a wrestling historian. His knowledge is absolutely incredible yes he's very well worth a follow he's done various threads of things like uh vince mcmahon stories and 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 lawsuits and all that and you could spend hours just reading through that just get lost in it and learn a lot of things give him a follow definitely i mean he has the uh he has the everyday thing as well of, of on this day in whatever year and everything like that and he'll put up a gif of of for those of you that don't know what gifs are, it's moving images. Um, he'll put moving images up on Twitter of you know part of the match that happened in sort of like nineteen eighty four and nineteen ninety six or two thousand and five or whatever. And it's he is absolutely absolutely worth a follow and uh, much big shout out to him for getting back to me with that story today because I I was laughing my tits off. I really was. Anyway, back to the match here, and uh, we, I'm going to jump straight into this. I think this is the only drop kick that I've actually seen in this Nitro and the next one. Uh, it's from Meng, and it's on Animal, and I kind of dug it. I thought it was a pretty good one. What did you think, yeah, Brian? A solid seven, yeah. Solid uh, seven. I actually, there was another uh, line from uh, Bobby Heenan just before that. There were a bit of a brawl outside, and he was talking about the Legion of Doom. He says, they will hit you with chairs, railings, bar stools, bar rigs, bar maids. <laughs> 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 Excellent wordplay again. So good. On fire today, Mr. Heenan. Crowd goes mental for the Road Warriors. Double team moves, uh, but he's got him up for the electric chair. It's stopped by Meng. Animal takes a pile driver in the ring while Hawk goes for the clothesline from the top rope too. It was a bit like, oh, he's taking a pile driver with his fucking bad back and stuff. So I'd cringed a little bit. 
Uh, Hawk is the legal man, though. So Hawk going from the top rope gets the victory to a huge Ohio cheer. And it's uh, it's one in the bag for the Road Warriors and the Faces of Fear. Not so much. Before we move on, I, I want to say we kind of like glossed over that tag match a little bit because we we're all this vast information about Bobby, uh, Bobby Heenan's arrest for carrying so much... <laughs> Fucked on them out of weed and all that shit. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a bad match at all. I was fairly no, it wasn't. about uh, throughout it. And this is me. I've, I've not watched a hell of a lot of Road Warriors stuff. I haven't gone back down the well and watched them in their NWA days and their early WWE days when they were on at their peak. Um, the only really... Um, the, the only LOD that I really know is from their very ill-fated... 19, I think it was like 96 to 98 run in WWE, something like that. And yeah, it 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 wasn't good at all. You could tell that Animal was really, really suffering with his back at this point, and Hawk had his personal demons, which WWE opted to make into a storyline. Uh, yeah, yeah, fucking horrible. So that that's my lasting image of the Legion of Doom, and this was them firing on all cylinders. Hawk has a hell of a hot tag. You know, very, yeah. very fiery, very fiery. And the Barbarians, again, um, I don't really know much of them as a tag team. And they were entertaining enough in this match as well. It was a good back and forth. Yeah. Yeah, there was nothing wrong with it. It's just one of them things where, as we always do on this podcast, we sort of just sort of glide through it unless it's a very, very, you know, it's like a world title match or it's a cruiserweight match because that's what we're all here for. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's, there was nothing wrong with it. This is this is four brutes just kicking the living shit out of each other, essentially. Um, but it is good to see Hawk and Animal in such a good place in wrestling. Um, obviously, the dark side of the ring as well. We've talked about that before, the episode about, you know, the, the Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom or whatever you want to call them. Um, that's a really good one to watch as well. Ow. Especially as you, as you detailed, like, Hawk's personal problems, they, they're all on show there and it's really sad that he's not with us anymore. No, very sad. Also, it, it has to be said as well, because we're going to talk about the Dungeon of Doom in the next segment. Um, last night, we lost Kamala, um, a.k.a. James Harris, James Harris uh, his real name. He sadly passed away. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with his last uh, final few years, Mark. Um, uh, I heard he lost both his he legs, did. and he, had, he just wasn't. Yeah. Um, he lost both his legs. He was, and honestly, this is fucking disgusting on WWE's part. But <laughs> you know what? There's nothing surprises me anymore. But uh, yeah. um, a year ago, um, he was suffering financially. Uh, what he was doing for a living, he was making lamps and trying to sell them on eBay. Um, but unfortunately, like things like shipping costs and all that meant that he couldn't really make it like a, a good financial income for himself. Um, so unfortunately, he was at risk of losing his house. He ended up having a Kickstarter to fund him, uh, fund him to um, to not being kicked, uh, kicked out of his home. And yeah, there were people pleading to WWE. They did nothing. Uh, somebody had actually tweeted around that time that uh, when he does pass away, which was looking likely back then because he was very, very ill, they'll you know, they'll do their tone death thing of like we're deeply sad and yada yada yada. And lo and behold, yeah. they went and did that last night. And yeah. you have, I, I feel WWE as the biggest company in the world, the biggest wrestling company in the world, with so much finances and the shitty treatments of their stars, they have a personal responsibility to look after these kind of wrestlers who have given it all for their for their brand and 
are suffering badly years later, you have a personal responsibility for that. And it just seems like once you're done, you're done. And that's not fair. Unless you're in the, uh, Vince McMahon's inner circle, you're, you're not going to be tracked particularly well. You, you're always going to be seen as expendable. And it just fucking sucks. It just sucks. So, yeah, sadly, we lost Kamala last night. Um, I, I know very little of the guy outside of that. I've seen a few matches of his. Obviously, I've seen him here and there on WCW. So it has to be brought up because he is on the WCW roster under the Kamala name at this point. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's a big loss for wrestling, for sure. He, he was very well known as one of wrestling's nice guys. Even even wrestlers are coming out and saying, wrestlers that knew him, like Bret Hart, were just saying that even when he lost his legs, he never took it as like a challenge. He never took it as a challenge. He just happily lived his life. Even in his last days, in the last years, he just lived a happy life regardless of his problems and that's very inspiring very very inspiring yeah. uh, very well said I, I mean I don't want to spend too much time on, on what you've just said there in terms of you know the WWE not looking after people and everything like that but I do have kind of an opinion on it that, that it has to be after a certain time a certain generation of wrestlers just always get overlooked yeah and they don't get curved for you, you know they could be curving for people like Lex Luger and, and I know we, we have our disagreements about you know Lex, what Lex has done and, and all that sort of stuff. But the fact of the matter is, you know, Lex Luger is a massive name in, in wrestling folklore and, and he's he's struggling. You know, if Blackburn Rovers can make the Blackburn Rovers Former Players Association, which looks after former players, when they're hard up or when they're struggling, then I'm pretty sure the WWE can do something as well. And I know that's what the Hall of Fame usually is there for, in it to give them like one last payday, one last thing on TV and then, you know, go and spend that money as, as you will but Kamala wasn't in the Hall of Fame was he? Not from what I can recall no and no. He, he might have been he might have been but I, I can't really say we out doing a Google search um, no, all, all I'm, the, I'm almost certain he wasn't. A lot of the Hall of Fame is just generally bleeding to one these days sadly uh, mm. the thing is with the Hall of Fame is no matter what anybody can look at it, it it's Vince McMahon's personal respect club if you show him a little bit of respect as a legend and things like that you're likely to get put in if you if you're not on good terms with him you're not going to get put in it's simple as that and that is it if you are trying to take ownership of the wrestling industry i mean that uh justin Funderliger only had one match in wwe and he apparently from that just qualifies as WWE hall of Famer. and i know they take wcw into account with that but yeah you know, they're going to play on that one match. Let's, let's be honest. He had that one match with Tyler Breeze. They're going to play on it. Um, if he yeah. qualifies as a Hall of Famer just because he had that one match in WWE, it, it just comes across like you're taking ownership of the wrestling industry. And with that, you've got to not shun people just because you think that, oh, yeah, the. <sighs> You know, Vincent, Vincent Hayden or Vincent She didn't get on or it like that. It's not about that. It's not about that. These are people that have given their all for the industry and they deserve to be honoured. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why it took so long for Macho Man and people like the Bulldog to get in as well. Yeah, it, it just and that shouldn't take. It shouldn't take that long. No, not at all. And I'm I'm and I'm I'm one of those guys that's saying like you can't put a time scale on things, but there are people that you shouldn't have a time scale. We can we could wait for people like the Godfather for fuck's sake. We can wait for people yeah. like Bradshaw. 
you know, because he, he was, uh, I think he was one of the inductee, inductees this year, if I remember rightly. Um, yeah, we can wait for people like that. People like the Bulldog, people like Rick Rude, people like Savage, Bruno Sammartino. I know Sammartino was alive and he pretty much refused uh, for, for the longest time to be put into the Hall of Fame. But he's also just one of those names, like, it shouldn't take as long as it did. No. No. Yeah, really sad. Really sad that uh, that we lost him. I don't know where he is on WCW TV at this moment in time in this timeline. Um, I know that obviously he's been with the Dungeon of Doom, hasn't he? Um, I've seen him he... maybe two or three times on TV, but right. he's just been like right. a background character. He's not really got involved that much. Yeah, as you said, like he's he's renowned. He's renowned for being a nice guy outside of the ring, but inside the ring, you know what? I wouldn't fucking mess with him. No, I wouldn't Let's either. Put it that way. <laughs> um, so here's one person who won't be going into Hall of Fame, and that's Kevin Sullivan. And he's got so much to complain about with me and Gene in the middle of the ring. Um, he says that the the understanding between the horseman and the dungeon has already shown cracks. I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit there. Primarily, it's the Sullivan versus Pillman sort of uh, dynamic. Speaking of which, here comes Pillman, and he's accompanied to the ring by Orn Anderson. Sullivan says that Pillman needs disciplining by Orn, uh, otherwise there'll be consequences. And Orn starts to go off on Pillman once again for not being out while Ric Flair beat Hulk Hogan. Iron promises some tough love and then goes to unstrap his own belt. Oh my fucking god! But... I was laughing through this because I, I said in the last episode uh, that I was really enjoying the father son dynamic between Arnett and the son of Brian Pillman, and this just adds to it. He's like, "What the fuck yeah. are you gonna do? Pull his trousers down and start whacking him on the bare ass?" And then it started. Well, almost happened, but he's sucker punched by Sullivan and Hugh Morris. Pillman hides away uh, outside of the ring and. But then he gets caught up and strapped to fuck by Sullivan with Arn's own belt. Arn gets a DDT on Morris and runs Sullivan off. And then Arn gets back into the ring a little bit, huffing and puffing. Gets on the mic and demands that he gets retribution while Pillman says he got them into this mess and he'll be the one to get them out of it too, just as we go to a break. Very so, rare unity in the Horseman at the moment. Yeah. What I what I take umbrage with this is Arn is... He's, he's cussing out Brian Pillman for not interfering in the Ric Flair Hogan match earlier on in the night. Where the fuck's Ben Wall? Why is Ben Wall not getting that same treatment? True. He is a horseman as well, and I brought this up before. It almost seems like Ben Wall's just there. It, it, it's just a status. He's he's not. It doesn't seem like he's actually part of the horseman. He's only there when they feel fit for him to be there, and I, it, it's. It's unfair to to cuss out one person for not interfering in the match when the other match is uh, persona non grata. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I I can kind of understand why Orange's not sort of giving Benoit shit. It's because Benoit's not sort of giving Orange shit, and he's not sort of distracting away from the main goal, which is again, you know, get Ric Flair the world title and and sort of protect that at all costs. Which is fair enough, but for yeah, he. He has to be involved as well. You can't, you can't think, have a go at one person for not getting involved when the other person just doesn't show up. Yeah, I, th- I mean, it's a, it's a repeated thing now. This we don't know what's happening on Saturday night. I know Ben was on Saturday night quite a lot, and maybe Ben was just getting the job done on Saturday night. You know, he's he's having his matches, he's winning, and Arn and Rick are uh, yeah, yeah, they're, night they're happy that. with that. Yeah, sort of like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. like Benoit is pulling his weight. Benoit is fucking doing something, and you, you're just you're just mouthing off and and being a fucking jackass, really. Um, 
but as you said, there's a little bit of cohesion now. So Owen and Pillman here are on the same page, and Pillman is turning around to his dad and saying, "You know, I, I'm I'm going to make you proud, Dad." I like, you know, it. I like how he came through, Owen Anderson. He's now Brain Pillman's dad. Yeah, <laughs> he may as well be now. I mean, you 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 sort of fucking made that uh, made that thing. So well done. <laughs> so next up, we're coming back from a break, and it's Sister Sherry in the ring with Mean Jean as we're coming back. Uh, mean Jean's about to interviewer so now we get to talk about my favorite part of that entire clash of the champions which was the wedding of sister sherry so sherry martel and um colonel robert parker now god i fucking hell we recorded we recorded that episode and i went to bed and i was still laughing in bed i was i was crying laughing so much i just i was in hysterics watching it back you know, making the gifts and everything like that. Luckily, we've still got the gifts. Uh, so to contextualise, basically, as it's been seen on Nitro, Sherry and Colonel Robert Parker are engaged to be married. It's going to happen at Clash of the Champions. Colonel Robert Parker, because it's in Las Vegas, Nevada, has lost all his money gambling. He's had to borrow money off Mean Gene Auckland to pay for the cab. He's a, he's asked Mean Gene Auckland to pay more money, like another 50 to pay for the uh, drive through wedding. Uh, which I think he ended up getting off Bunkhouse Book or something like that. Um, Sherry's arrived late. She's arrived drunk. And that is a shoot, by the way. She was actually shoot drunk and shoot late. <laughs> I, I actually sent an interview with Colonel Robert Parker to Mark where he actually discusses this segment. And I thought that this segment was kind of like something that was lost in wrestling history. And in many ways it is. But... Colonel Parker, he talks so fondly about it and about the experience that they had that night. And he basically said that they were trying to like, scrap the whole thing to say, like, it's not going to happen. Just write it off quickly. You know, just have Medusa attack and all that. And he's saying, no, no, Jerry's drunk. This will actually add to it. We can run with this. And boy, do they fucking run with it. Well, to be fair to her, consummate professional, if she was drunk, she did everything right. Oh, yeah, she, she was she, fucking brilliant. She said the right lines and all that. Um, but, yeah, she's arrived dishevelled as well. Um, so all, all the way through the night, basically, you're going back and forth to the, what did you say it was, the White Chapel? Or the, something like A that. little White Chapel. The little White Chapel. Um, and it was actually in Las Vegas, whereas we were sort of speculating whether or not it was just a set that WCW had made. Um, reused and then, in the classic Triple H marrying Stephanie McMahon segments as well yes. and the same woman officiating it which is spellbounding considering that she fucks up Colonel Parker's name in this several times and she also says um, uh, do you take Hunter Hearst Helmsley to be your wife as well like do, she's not does she say that yes accidentally and then she goes uh, my husband straight away after it she corrects herself yeah, she's uh, she's not a good worker. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I did not know that. I know that she she like called him Andy Parker or some shit like that. I don't. Yeah, she called know, him but... Alan Parker. Yeah, I think. Um. So yeah, the the wedding's gone ahead. Uh, well, just about, and then there's a bit of an interruption. Um, and there's the thing is as well, there's like a big table set up that's got a big, you know, wedding cake on it and stuff like that. In the car, we've got a few. Di- We've got yes in the car park and there's a few guests of honest so bunkhouse book the other one they keep forgetting oh, Dick 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 Slater person yeah and uh, Disco Inferno's arrived as well so we know where Disco Inferno is and uh, Booker T and Stevie Ray from Harlem Heat are there as well and uh, <laughs> I can see it in my head now 
So basically, there's a there's a camper van or something like that, um, and I, f- I forgot who it I forgot who it belongs to. I'm pretty sure it's Robert Parker. Yeah, it's Robert Parker's because they allude, So it's his camper van. They allude to Medusa being his wife. Yeah. So the the camera the camera's panned to a perfect point where you can see the the, the happy couple, quote unquote. And you can see the door of the camper van opening and Medusa just comes running out and just jumps on Sherry. They start catfighting here, there and everywhere. Sherry's screaming um, at the top of her voice. Like, and I'd, 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 I was speculating because obviously fucking, obviously Clash of the Champions were going back to this segment back and forth, usually like after every match or maybe after every couple of matches or whatever. And I was, I, I remember saying to you, is there not something big going to happen here? Like, they're putting that much TV emphasis into it. There's going to be something big happening here. There has to be. And they're finally using Medusa, which is great. Um, so they're catfighting, as you said, they're screaming and everything like that. And so you've got, is it Robert Parker trying to get Medusa off Sherry? Yes. And then you've got Booker T trying to get Sherry off Medusa. <laughs> and Booker T slips on his ass because he... <laughs> It's so good, man. It's so good. I just, I just wearing, love that segment. He's wearing flat shoes and... Yeah, big mistake. He just slips just on the... Just cake all over the floor. I, I thought he slipped on a cake because the, yeah. the, the uh, picture quality, it wasn't too great. Uh, you, you Standard fur when it's like an outside thing. The, the, for some reason, the old school footage just tends to go a little bit more grainy compared to indoors and all that. I don't know why that is. I'm not... I'm not it's lighting. It's a lighting issue. It's a lighting issue. Okay. And yeah. Uh, yeah, he looks like he slips on his cake. He doesn't. He actually nearly does the splits and just flat, falls flat on his fucking ass. The next thing, and it's right in front of the cameraman. <laughs> and the next, like he nearly falls on the cameraman. <laughs> and the next thing you see, you just see Stevie Ray just fucking busting a gut side of him. <laughs> so it carries on, and then obviously everybody's split apart and everything like that. And the very last scene you see is Disco Inferno. With two bottles of champagne under each arm, just sort of looking around like, I don't know what's going on, but I hope nobody's seen me with these two bottles of champagne I'm about to. <laughs> I fucking loved it. Honestly, I, I, I don't give a fuck about the main event in Clash of the Champions. I honestly don't give a fuck about Sting at this moment in time. It's that fucking wedding segment was fucking brilliant. Made the whole thing. Um, and... I was shitting on it at the beginning. I was like, oh, yeah, this is definitely what I'm here for. Fuck me. I can't fucking wait. And then by the end of it, I just loved it that much. I just, honestly, oh, I, God. I'm not going to lie. I've watched that back. If I haven't watched it once, I've watched it a hundred times back, and I've laughed every <laughs> single fucking time. It is comedy gold, and a lot of it unintentional, but it's gold. Just seeing Stevie Ray not being able to hold it in, just corpsing at <laughs> Booker falling over. And the next thing you know, his Booker T gets up and he's still trying to break it all apart. And he's got this big beaming fucking Cheshire Cat smile on his face. Yeah. Oh, God. It's just so good. Golden. Absolutely golden. But now we've got to go into back into serious business. <laughs> oh, no. Do we have to? <laughs> uh, well, no, to, be because fair, that... to be fair, this match isn't all that bad. No, it's not. This so this is what this is um, peeking into basically. So the fallout from this is Sister Sherry's about to have an interview with Mean Jean, but Medusa ends up getting on the top rope and just gives her the biggest crossbody, and we're straight into the match. The referee calls for the bell and everything. Uh, you can see Mean Jean though, he's just sort of running around the ring like I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Um, 
so Medusa's kind of wearing like athletic wear with some kick pads and Sherry's wearing a dress. Like <laughs> they're supposed to be having a match yeah, as well. She's not dressed to wrestle. Yeah. <laughs> um I can only presume that the interview was gonna be, well, I'm not gonna wrestle you, you know, this, that and the other, but it does yeah. happen. Hell of a lot of strikes. It's it's just generally strikes and they're usually coming from Medusa as well. Uh, there's a vertical suplex on the outside which also nearly fucking wipes out a cameraman as well. <laughs> The poor cameramen of fucking WCW here, they're, they're, they're just under attack. They ain't paid enough, man. Yeah, it, it's happened a few times now. Oh, wrong place, wrong time. Just so good. It finishes with Sherry going to the top rope, but Medusa slams her. But Sherry manages to roll through, keeping her physical momentum, and uh, ends up getting the pinfall as well. Medusa is straight back up with a great variation of a belly-to-back suplex. I don't know if you noticed this, but she she lifted her with her hands. Yes. Didn't it, use the burr hug technique, which you'd see the guys do. No, just fuck off. And, and Sherry lands on the back of her neck as well. It yeah. looked brutal. It did. Again, we're glossing over what was a very good match. I mean, Sherry got a lot of good offence in, and very surprisingly so. She was like, using martial art moves, like kicks and all that. She actually does the, uh, the, I don't know what you call it. It's the Jeff Hardy uh, midsection leg drop where they're prone on the floor. She split, uh, they split the legs and they just do a leg drop onto the stomach. Yeah, Jeff, yeah. It's one of Jeff Hardy's um, most patented moves and Sherry does that here. Sherry really fucking impressed me in this match. Yeah, definitely. It was a, it was a, it was a good way to have your, your, your first... I mean, it's not the first women's match, is it? Because there was a lot of the Japanese girls, they, yes. they did the first one, didn't they? But this is the first WCW one, if yep. you like. Um, but yeah, so I knew what to expect with Medusa anyway. We, we all know what Alundra Blaze are capable of. Um, but yeah, Sherry, absolutely agree. Completely, completely agree. Yeah, um, I ever expected a squash match or a cat fight, and yeah. this was neither. It wasn't, no. Uh, in the end, Medusa ends up getting some seriously rapid shots and constantly drives Sherry's head into the mat, and that would completely fucking shoot. Her head yeah. just bouncing off that mat like fucking silly. Um, finally, a second re comes out, uh, referee comes out to contain the situation, uh, and Bischoff says that Medusa should have stayed in the WWF because she could have taken on 90% of the men up there. You know what? I kind of agree. <laughs> Medusa's a badass. Definitely. Um, even, na- even now, she's still a fucking badass. Well, she she tweeted today, so we're, we're context is king. Um, we're recording on the 10th of August, and she tweeted today to say that this new Raw underground that Shane McMahon's currently hosting had three dancers who were scantily clad and all that sort of stuff. Um, and Medusa turned around and said, so we're promoting women's... Uh, women as legitimate athletes, and we're not using them. Uh, we're not having them as sex objects, and yet here you are promoting this. Do you think that this is really right? Um, she has a point. Yeah, she has a point. I thought you were gonna say like, oh yeah, she wants to be part of our underground and just fight all the men. And I'm like, yep, that'll get me to tune in. I'd right, watch, watch that. I would. Yeah. <laughs> Carrying on, uh, we're going into the giant versus the macho man, who is accompanied by a woman. Who's dressed in gold? Linda Blair, who's dressed in black, and Deborah McMichael, also dressed in black, whilst Elizabeth is dressed in pink. Now, I, I know that's, that seems weird that I'm, I'm detailing what they're actually dressed in, but it, it is it does put emphasis on who yes. is important and who isn't, if you get what I mean. Yeah, um, pretty much. And this one's going to be for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. And oh my God, Bischoff says straight away, Hogan may be out of wrestling. Don't! Tease me like that. <laughs> C- 
come on. And I know that he's still in wrestling from this, but don't say that if it's not if you're not gonna fucking follow up on it. No. Asshole. The other, the other bit of commentary that I did get from this, and I'm not sure if you got it or not. I hope you did, but if you didn't, you might have a laugh at this. But Michael turns around and says, "You've got to give it to Hogan and Savage. They know what pretty women look like." And Brain turns around and says, so does Roy Orbison, but it doesn't do him any good. <laughs> no, I didn't get that. <laughs> so fucking good. Again, it's this fucking dynamic between Michael and Brain. It's working, man. Oh, fucking, fucking working. There was a guffaw for the ages from me, though. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so we're waiting oh, for Macho brilliant. to come out. The, the girls have come out, but the, there's no Macho. And it turns out that Macho's coming through the crowd and he's gone into the back of the Giant with the world title and it's thrown out straight away by the referee. Macho is on the Giant with a sleeper hold. Obviously, the Giant's like seven foot four, so his feet are off the ground and Ric Flair's come out now. There's a big snapmare for Macho who goes up and over and Flair pulls him out of the ring. There's chair shots, chops, guard rails, the whole works. Flair is absolutely dismantling the, ma- the macho man. Forever. Did you think? Oh, that, that little bit there, it just seemed to go on forever. To see the giant and Rick Flair beating on this poor guy. Yeah, yeah. It was just like, oh my God, when will it stop? But don't worry, fucking, here it comes to sympathy. Hulk Hogan looking like Terry Butcher from Italian 90 with a fucking big-ass bandage on his head, comes out with a shirt, starts fucking walloping the giant. And honestly, this is the the most... This is the happiest time that it's been for me to ever see Hulk Hogan res- in a wrestling ring at all. He just comes in and he starts wailing the giant with the, with the steel chair, actually properly this time as well, just showing, giant, this is how it's fucking done. <laughs> Repeatedly. Oh, my God. He was like a house on fire. I really enjoyed this a little bit. Yeah, Giant sold really well uh, the chair shot for him to, to take him out of the ring, um, going over the top rope. I thought he just he just looked so clean, just looked so good. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, that's what they were teasing, weren't it? I think they left it they left it to go on a little bit longer than you expect it to, to think, oh, well, hang on a minute, is somebody going to come out and help him? Or are yeah, they not? Hog- Hogan's injured, Sting and Lex Luger are not here. They actually dropped that. Why is Lex Luger going to come out and help Gravity Savage? Yeah, somebody did say, well, not not like he'd be any use. Oh, Bischoff said that, yes. Yeah. So, obviously, the guys, they beat a hasty retreat. They go up to the commentator's table, the Ric Flair and Co. Uh, Ric Flair just gives a big woo to McMichael. McMichael just sat there with his head in his hands like, yeah, oh, for fuck's sake. I, I'm not so sure what got to Mongo here. He's just face-palming throughout. He's like, oh, for fuck's sake, what the... He has no idea what to do, and honestly, I thought he was courting. I think he put his head in his hands because you you just have Ric Flair coming out, and he's just in front of the uh, the commentary desk, and he's strutting around, and he's just going, rah, 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 rah. yeah. And honestly, it, it was comical. It was comical. So I I buy the idea that uh, Matt Michael was just like face palming because he couldn't hold in his laughter, yeah. and he just didn't want to show that on TV. He you know, did a much better uh, job of hiding it than Stevie Ray did at Clash yes. of Champions. <laughs> Very much so. So we, this is rounding up Nitro, this basically. So the guys have gone up there and they're just they're just essentially taking over the commentary booth now. B- Bischoff has beat a hasty retreat as well because the giant Flair and Hart have all taken over and they're just, just sort of fucking just blabbing on now. Ric Flair has to say something here. So he's supposed to be giving some sort of challenge, but he's getting lost on himself, really. And Heenan... This was fucking brilliant, right? Heenan is the last one remaining. He tremendously sucks up to Ric Flair, but he also manages to put over the pay-per-view as well because Rick was way too excited to do this. Just way too in the fucking moment with this microphone. 
And he doesn't miss a step, Heenan. He doesn't fucking stutter. He doesn't do anything wrong in this moment. It's an absolutely sterling job. And if you're American, I apologise. Sterling's probably not in your vocabulary. But sterling job from Heenan here. Sold the pay-per-view. Sold Ric Flair. Sold the whole event that was just happening right now without just even a momentary hiccup. Just so good. I I really, really dug it. And in all of that, he's like, even ch- pleading to Rick Flair, and you know it's a shoot. It's like saying, "Calm down, calm yeah. down." Yeah, yeah. So That's really, really good way to close off Nitro. Um, there is one thing that the giant does say, and I have no idea what the fuck this means. He definitely stumbled over his words, but uh, the Big Show's never really been like very. He's not, never been great with the verbiage. No, uh, he's come on leaps and bounds recently in recent years, but back here, you know, definitely not. He actually says. I'm going to take your bones and make them my breath. Whoa, what? was it Was it breath? I, I, I don't... Yeah. I, I, that, I can't... I heard it, but I thought it was something else. No. Um, I, I rewound it five times, and I also had the subtitles on and off, and he 100% says breath. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Rem- I wouldn't. Re- I wouldn't rely on them subtitles, mate. No, but that's. I, re- I what I, I saw the subtitles and re- I rewound it, and I'm like, okay, turn the subtitles off, put the volume up as high as possible, and all that. He definitely says breath. Wow. Yeah, it was a rare, rare moment where the subtitles got it right. Just seems like they all kind of got a little bit too uh, excited then. <laughs> Still, I'm going to take your bones and make them my breath. That is a weird. That that sounds like something from a shitty eighties action movie, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> probably I'm one of them take... directed TNT uh, movies. Yeah, I'm gonna take your bones and make them my breath. <laughs> There's a T-shirt. Oh, let's see, let's see. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe not. Maybe. <laughs> the rating for this one was a two point eight versus Raw's two point four, and the raw results. Um, I will. I will ask you about your rating. Just, uh, just let me fucking get through this because there's uh, a little thing at the end. Go on. The raw results are Diesel defeating the David Boy Smith with um, Jim Cornette in his corner, in David Boy Smith's corner. Sorry, Henry Godwin and Phineas Godwin with Hillbilly Jim defeated Skip and Zip with Sonny. Sonny. Who? <laughs> Who? Skip and Which Zip. One? Skip and Zip, accompanied they... to the ring by Sonny. Aren't they the puppets from Big Breakfast? Uh. Yeah, one of them was it <laughs> definitely. Yeah, and of course, if Sonny's on this card, then Shawn Michaels going to be on this card, isn't he? Uh, so Shawn Michaels defeated Yoko Zuna, who was accompanied to the ring by Jim Cornette as well. And I, I just wanted to put at the end here as well that it included the billionaire Ted, the Huckster, and the Natural Man at a press conference where Ted talked about trying to run the WWF out of business. Um, <laughs> so, well, how did you find the Nitro? It wasn't a bad show. It wasn't a brilliant show. Yeah, it was bang average. Uh, I give it a two. Mm. Um, there were a couple of good matches. There were enough stuff, you know, that were entertaining, but there's still a lot of fucking shit that could be left at the wayside. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I'd agree with that. To be honest, uh, it's kind of it's not the one before the pay per view, is it? So I guess they're kind of hinging on that a little bit. They're getting a little bit of the fodder out and. We're going to jump straight into Nitro number 23 here, which is February 5th, 1996. It's, it's the last Nitro before uh, Super Bowl 6. And initially, they didn't name the city, uh, but as this first match comes on, they name it as Lakeland, Florida, which is also sort of described as being Randy Savage country. 
So typical WCW hotbed as well, yeah. Yeah, uh, we're heavily promoting the double cage match at Super Bowl now, which is Hogan and Flair, and they will face off while both are in the house tonight, as well as Sting and Lex Luger. And uh, what we are going to start off with is, and we've criticised this before, it's the WCW World Heavyweight Championship as the opening bout of Nitro, and it's going to be Chris Benoit versus the Macho Man, who is accompanied by a woman and Miss Elizabeth, who are both wearing red. It's, it's it's just a great chance for Benoit to show his prowess while Macho can bring the eyes uh, with all his showmanship and grandeur. Uh, grapples to all the corners to start off with. We keep seeing this quite a, quite a lot, really. Um, until the cheap shots from Benoit. Outside, Macho goes into a guardrail. He seems to like that guardrail. Uh, back in the ring, Benoit gets heat with the four horsemen signal uh, and the Macho man does it the opposite way down, which gets a few cheers. And there's some violent chops at the corner after an attempt to slingshot Macho Man under under the bottom rope. It's a really weird scenario to describe. Macho actually fucking like jumps straight back up and just I think I'm pretty sure he just fucking potatoes but Benoit at one point just for that reason. Um Macho attempts to brawl his way out, but Benoit's an answer for each and every one. So Benoit is just on top all the time, Macho putting him over immensely here. Uh, there's an Air Canada, which is the flying headbutt from the top, but there's no pin. Uh, and I'm going to presume at this point it wasn't a finish. Oh, and also very horrible to see. And I know, and I know, we, we've everything is very well documented as well. But Nancy's on the side; she's on the ring side, and then you see the flying headbutt, the Air Canada, and it, it just, especially after watching that documentary recently, you know, the Benoit family documentary, the Vice one. It was just like, ugh, that just it just left that little bit of a. Uh, rough taste in my mouth. Right. Yeah, it was just it was just not nice to see, you know. But it, it's kind of like just trying to get accustomed to watching Benoit and realizing, you know, that yeah, they met, all of this eventually contributed to it. But it, it it's not that time. It's not that timeline. Yeah, yeah. Trying I mean... to take, trying to stay into the match. It's hard, very hard. But yeah. I don't, I don't see that doesn't seem to register in my brain anymore. I don't know why. I, I don't know. I don't know why. But yeah, I think it's because I, I did get accustomed to everything that happened and yada yada yada. But after watching that documentary, it's just kind of like brought back that raw emotion. If that makes sense, it could be. I mean, you you, you watched that fairly recently, didn't you? Whereas we, we kind of like watched it we- when it came out. Two, so. Yeah, two weeks ago I watched it. Yeah, so it's fair, it's fairly fresh in your memory, really. Yes. Um. So yeah, I mean, there's a there's a huge side suplex from Benoit, which had Macho's legs like twenty foot in the air. Uh, it was a really really big one. There's a quick Irish whip and a brutal clothesline as well, followed by a leg drop, uh, a backbreaker, which goes into a hold. But Macho gets the eye rake in, but Benoit attempts to keep the offence on. Macho's taking all kind of punishment, while Heenan says he's never seen Macho take this kind of punishment in his life. Uh, Macho manages to send Benoit out with the tights, but Benoit sends him into the ring post and steps arm first. But Macho up, gets a running clothesline in. Uh, woman is on the top rope just as Macho bows over the top rope cor- courtesy of Benoit, to which the commentators talk about the disqualification rule. Fuck's oh, sake, that fucking rule. Um, yeah. Benoit with a fucking suicide dive, which was absolutely gnarly, because Macho moves oh, out of the way and Benoit God. hits the guardrail legs. He doesn't even hit the guardrail, he just hits the legs of the guardrail and you can hear it. Yeah, it's a, a proper fud. Yeah. Fucking awful. Absolutely awful. Yeah. Somehow Benoit manages to get back in the ring, but Savage uh, is on the top rope and he elbow. It's a big elbow to the back of Benoit's head. But Fleur is out to distract Macho, hiding behind Liz as Macho notices. 
Woman comes around then and throttles Macho with a cable. Arnie's now out and Macho is being beaten to a pulp while Woman just stands there and laughs at him. Hogan is out with his weak-ass chair shots to make sure... <laughs> Yeah, all that parade, straight out the window. Yeah, the, the last one, he did a really good job, and this week he's just like, I've got to make up for it now, brother. Uh, yeah, he just taps people on the head. Um, the horsemen have all the momentum here, though. Uh, Owen continues to sell the chair shot, which couldn't swat a fly. Uh, Liz and Hogan are in the ring as Mean Gene interviews them. Uh, and I was wondering to myself, like, why why is Hogan so, so fixated on like having their backs turned? And then obviously I realised, oh, they want their back turned to the entrance way because something's going to happen. Um and that's it. Flair's got a cheap shot for you, brother. Yep, I'm all for it. Flair is a fucking god. <laughs> and this, I got, got, I'm like a fucking kid at Christmas now. I was just like, oh yeah, beat him up. Go on, go on. Uh, I thought this was so well done. Just Flair coming, running back down and just fucking laying into Hogan. Uh, it allowed for such hatred for the faction as well from the crowd. Liz just stands in the corner and watches the giant whack Hogan with a real chair shot. Hogan is out, and as the Giant goes for more, the Macho is back out for the save after he'd been taken to the back by Doug Dillinger and a referee. Uh, Zodiac was talking the Giant down as well. It's almost as if they're trying to make this Zodiac character some sort of fucking controller of the Giant. They all exit the ring while Macho points the finger at Liz for not warning Hogan about Fleur being behind him. Gene jumps to her defence and says that she absolutely was. Uh, Hogan again with all the blood all over his eyes as we go to a break. Oh my god. I will say one thing. Mean Gene actually pissed me off. He actually pissed me off in this. It's like straight away, you see that woman has turned on Hogan and Savage and aligned herself with Ric Flair. And Savage is down injured. And the first thing that Mean Gene does is in the ring and he's like, what's going on? What's going on? Like, you don't fucking know. And the first thing Hogan says to him, he says, can't you see? Savage is injured. Wait a second. I'm like, Hogan, I'm yeah. actually with you on this side. This time. Mean Gene's role at the moment, he is a Betty from Emmerdale. He just sticks his fucking oar in where it doesn't belong <laughs> at the wrong time. It's just like, Gene, fuck yeah. off a minute. I love Mean Gene, but Jesus Christ, they're just reducing his role to that. And it's it, 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 he's so much better than He's like than the slimy that. journalist, isn't he? Trying to get the scoop as soon as it happens. That's kind of yeah. what they're trying to and give. And when it's blatantly obvious what's just happened, you don't need to ask either. No, true. Well, uh, we won't have to spend too much time talking about that because we're going to jump straight into Arn and Brian Pillman versus Kevin Sullivan and Hugh Morris, who are accompanied to the ring by Jimmy Hart. Arn's going to get his wish. Obviously, he requested it last week that he, he wants these two in the ring and he's getting them straight away. And while the Giant and Fleur are pally-pally at this moment in time, these guys definitely are not. Pillman, as on the entrance, just flies off onto a random table just to jump on it and then runs off to the ring while Arn just... just sort of walking down just shaking his head uh we come back from a promo for saturday night uh and the bell rings and we start with pillman and morris in the ring pillman imitating morris's laughing can i just yeah. ask what is hugh morris's gimmick well he's just a he just laughs he's just a person that laughs i <laughs> i don't know i i deduced it is that he is a hyenas from Lion King. Ah, okay. <laughs> oh, oh, he's just doing that. He's just standing there and fucking laughing for no reason. Yeah. Like, I, I don't get it. <laughs> I'm humorous. <laughs> like, okay. What's your gimmick? Is that, is that your gimmick? Like, <laughs> I, I don't understand what this character so is. So I think he's supposed to be, not maniacal, but just a little bit 
a bit a bit goofy insane. in the head, yeah, a little bit insane. Uh, but he just he just laughs at anything and everything, particularly pain. Um, but across from him is a guy doing the exact same thing, but a hell of a lot fucking better. Yeah. Brian Pillman. Yeah. It's like that. That's that's why I ask, what is his character? Because this, they're, they're like two court jesters just laughing at each other in this, which is entertaining. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's not entertaining. It was entertaining for what it was, but like. When you actually see what Brian Pillman's doing, and you just see Hugh Morris just there doing, trying to do the exact same thing, and not as well, kind of like, mate, you need a new gimmick. As you said, because they, they do. Hugh Morris isn't bad. He's not bad in this match. No, at he's all. not. No, actually, he was very fucking impressive. I mean, he military presses both Brian Pillman and Arn Anderson with ease. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, it's effortlessly with Brian Pillman, but Pillman is half his size. Yeah. But Arn Anderson, it's like that's one dense motherfucker, and you just picked him, picked him up with ease, and it's like. There's nothing really wrong with his wrestling. I just don't buy the gimmick. Well, again, as we said before, that's one of the part part of the reason why he became a trainer for so long is because there's nothing wrong with his wrestling ability whatsoever. His ability to fucking oh, no, pick people up as well, even though he's he's not ripped and he's not torn in any way, shape, or form. If you saw him out in a bar, you just think you're a logger out. But he's mm-hmm. actually a fucking you know he's a fucking really really strong guy. Um, I say um mm-hmm, at logger out whilst I've got a mouthful of logger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. As you were saying there about the gimmick, actually, I think it's, it's something that he is going to carry on building on. I, I can remember the the gimmick that he has like later on when we're going into like ninety nine and two thousand and all that sort of stuff, like huge erection, you know that sort of stuff. <laughs> what? You don't know about that? Oh my god! Let me guess. Was Vince Russo behind that? Yeah, he was. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, fucking course. Uh, oh, yeah. Course. So he wasn't Hugh Morris. He was huge erection. Um. Oh, I can't wait for two thousand. <laughs> So, at one point, Sullivan and Pillman actually get into the ring as well, and it did look a little bit clumsy when they were sort of uh, in the ring. The moves and strikes seemed lackluster as they just blatantly no-selling each other and then just sort of tag out to each other. And then, obviously, Arn and Hugh Morris are in the are about to come into the ring, and you look over at Arn, and Arn's just sort of like, what the fuck just happened there sort of thing. And as the as the match progresses, um, we're told that Pillman and Sullivan are actually have actually been booked in a, in a respect match where they'll be strapped to each other uh, upcoming at Super Bowl Six. Part of the reason why I wanted to do the uh, watch-along with you, because I want to hear what you've got to say. More on that yeah. next week. Keep listening. Yeah, I, when, when you announce that, I'm like, what is that? It's just a strap match. What it's a strap match. Like? The only way to lose it is to say, I respect you. Ah, okay. So it's um, basically uh, Seamus versus Dol- uh, Dolph Ziggler kiss me ass match then. But without the actual kissing of the ass, It could be. Let's yeah, find it, out next week, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> to, to be fair, I'd much rather see Seamus' ass than Kevin Sullivan's ass. so... <laughs> well, I don't think you'll be talking about Seamus' ass next week. Um, I should fucking hope not. <laughs> Let's move on, Swift, please. Swiftly. <laughs> Pillman gets Morris on the outside while Orin distracts the referee and shoots him into the guardrail as Bischoff describes Morris's character as somebody who wakes up more when he gets his bell rung. Heenan then brilliantly implies that Morris dips his Oreos the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? I honestly, right, if I if I said dips his Oreos the wrong way, I'm talking about somebody being gay. You know what I mean? I'm talking like he's a little bit well, ACDC, like, yeah, that sort of stuff. It goes on the other side of the green, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. It, it's a terminology that makes no fucking sense, yeah. but they try to run with it like it is a thing. Yeah, no. Yeah, uh, I, I can actually see that. Morris dips his Oreos a different way. Here's a question, right? 
number one, how how else do you dip an Oreo? It is a sandwich biscuit and it's round. Unless the only way I can think of is that you take one side off and then you dip it that way, which to be honest with you, I think most people probably do that anyway. Secondly, I'd say that with most biscuits, apart from the American... Okay, oh, never mind. I take that back. I was going to say, who the fuck dips an Oreo? Because the last thing I want to dip in a cup of coffee is an Oreo, to be honest with you. But they, they, I realised when I was saying that, that over in America, the traditional thing is to dip Oreos in milk. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But again, still, that it makes no sense to me. No. It, that, it makes no sense to me. How else can you dip it? I mean, I've I've got to be honest. When it comes to the old biscuit debate and dipping and stuff like that, I can't I can't stomach dipping it in coffee. Tea, yeah, but coffee, absolutely not. I think that might be the first controversial comment from marvelous Mark Ashworth on this podcast. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, well, yeah, theoretically it would be because I said one about Elvis Presley, didn't I? And people <laughs> people don't get to listen to it. Damn, shit. Oh well, Darn never it. mind. Do you want? Do you want to repeat that comment? Uh, I would be damned if I can actually remember it. Okay, moving on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> so Hugh Morris dips his Oreos the wrong way. Great stuff. Morris. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, I noticed that Morris is—he's got a constantly expressionless face, no matter what he's hit with. Uh, he just he can have chops, and he's just sort of like, what? sort of thing it's like almost as if he's stoned maybe he's had some behemoth's weed i don't know anyway uh he, ta- he quickly tags in sullivan and he and pillman uh, pillman's been tagged in as well and they just go to blows on each other constantly um good few right hands and they end up pulling each other out others are sullivan puts pillman on the tree of war uh, and he's given a huge running knee to which he absolutely no sells rolls out of it and just brawls some more with sullivan on the mat sullivan's grabbing hold of his nose they're just rolling around like fucking women here um Grabs all of his yeah, nose. It, it, it evolved into a cat fight very quickly. It did, didn't it? Yeah. Um, Which, to be honest with you, Brian Pillman would be brilliant at doing that. In his character, he, that that just speaks very much of Brian Pillman. I could imagine him getting him back up all twinkled toward and just go, or something like that, yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. Kevin Sullivan, he's a human thumb. Why is he in a cat fight? <laughs> human thumb. I've called him that several times now. So Sullivan grabs his nose and he's, he's he's angling like he's almost going to pull it off, but Orin fights him all the way to the back of the entranceway. But somewhat perplexingly, a floating broom appears and breaks itself over Orin's back. Fucking hell. That reminded me of... You remember the the hands from Zap? Yeah! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was very much like that. <laughs> it was Neil Buchanan. Oh, man. Oh, my God! We bro- I, w- I was wondering who it were. Uh, actually... It's revealed moments later, but yeah, Neil Buchanan. It was him. Yeah, it was Neil Buchanan. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we, 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 we we don't need to name who it actually was. It's, it was Neil Buchanan. We're going with that one. And then with the 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 uh, the the brains of Arn Anderson on the floor, it made a big heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss Zap. I really do. Um, people have no idea fucking what we're fucking up. talking about. Yeah. Anybody that's yeah. under twenty-five uh, or American. No idea. Yeah, uh, yeah. Americans. Uh, YouTube zap. That's two Z's, by the way. Is it two Z's or is it two P's? I think it's two Z's. I think it's two Z's as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're anyway, right. look at it. It's basically the, the premise of it. It's a living comic strip. Yeah. And it's so like good. Like the 
Yeah, it's like theatre. It was fucking brilliant. Yeah. Uh, 1990s ITV. You cannot beat it. No, not at all. Uh, CITV, sorry. Yeah. Not ITV. Yeah, some of my favourite fucking times. Honestly, I'm fucking glad. I'm glad we were we were part of that generation. I really am. Yeah. It must suck being a kid now. I know. There's not really much out there now. But it, it all seems to be the same, really. Well, one of the guys has come back off furlough today, and uh, he's got he's got. It's not a newborn anymore. She's she's probably six or seven months old now. Um, but currently, apparently, it's like Mister Tumble. So, at least it's not Peppa Pig, uh, but it's Mister Tumble. <laughs> so Sullivan's making his his way back to the ring uh, to get onto Pillman, uh, just who was just took over, up and over by Morris on the outside. Uh, Sullivan has Orange's belt, and he's as as Morris connects with the top rope moonsault. Sullivan starts whipping the sweat from Pillman's back, to which Pillman no sells again, and then kind of breaks the gimmick if you like by just walking back towards the uh, entranceway without all the loose cannon characteristics. So. We're fucking selling here now, aren't we? That these guys like shoot, hate each other, basically, because yeah. there, there was no choreography to the to the to the match. There was no beautiful vertical suplexes. It was just all brawling, and and this is the reason why we've got an I respect you match at Super Bowl six. That's basically great all it's been set up for. It's basically yeah. it. Um, great moonsault by Hugh Morris. Yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. It is moonsault. Chef Kiss, brilliant. Yeah. Probably the best moonsault in WCW right now. And that's not saying much because there's not many cruiserweights getting uh, time on TV. So True. Yeah. It will get better as well. And he's a proper fat fuck as well to do a moonsault like that. Yeah. <laughs> It'll all <grill> out. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's better. That's less offensive. Yeah. Next up, it's going to be Marcus Bagwell versus Ric Flair, who's going to be accompanied to the ring by Woman. And Neil Buchanan comes out behind Fleur and goes to the commentator's desk <laughs> and says, you never know when payback comes. And there's 184 puns dropped about broomsticks by the commentary. <laughs> oh, my God. I nearly got through it all by saying Neil Buchanan. Yeah. Oh, uh, God. Yeah, Paul Orndorff, Paul Buchanan, whatever you want to call him. Uh, yeah, that net brace, very ill-fitting, first of all. Yeah. Very, very ill-fitting. It's, it's like it's grasping to the back of his neck trying not to fall off yeah uh secondly why didn't he just show his face he was just gonna kill any mystery of who attacked Arn anderson anyway he may as well just come out from behind the bloody character and then whacked him yeah it was so, kind of weird that it, yeah very very weird mm. like oh i don't want to show who it is but oh yeah it was me yeah fuck it why not yeah very like, bizarre it, yeah it made, it made no sense to me that well, let's but, see. Okay, fair enough. Let's see what happens moving forward, but it's a it's a very confusing way to to do things, really. Um, back from a break, we're told that Macho's taken Hogan to the hospital. Uh, updates are to come throughout the rest of the show. Flair is all over Bagwell with the strikes and the chops as per usual, but Bagwell gets some serious offense with clotheslines and a back body drop, which get him over huge with the crowd. Really pop for him. Uh, Flair sells big for Bagwell constantly as well. Though there's no excusing the fact that Bagwell has just sent himself out of the ring over the top rope quite amusingly. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I think they're supposed to have like I don't know I don't know what it, I don't know what they were supposed to be trying to do. Um, Eric Bischoff says, "Oh, he's gone for a crossbody," but he misses and then realizes and then... I need to be out of the ring, so he just jumps over the top rope back first. Yeah. 
And then Bischoff absolutely fucking buries him on commentary, saying the fans weren't cheering him, but for, uh, they were cheering for Flair being on his back. <laughs> like, what an asshole! Oh <laughs> man, I, I rewound it, and it kind of looks like Flair gives him a right hand, but there's absolutely no excuse for Bagwell to just to to do what he did there. Um, no. This match was very sloppy. It was a bit, that, yeah. I, it's a mismatch of styles, I, isn't it? Yeah. And it weren't, it weren't like it was a bad match by any means. It was just, at times, it didn't come together. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, we are going to gloss over this a little bit. So, woman is up on the camera side, open to distract the referee as Fleur goes out uh, after Bagwell on the outside with a few cheap shots. Again, I don't really get why, because he can't get disqualified for it. I mean, wrestlers do it all the time. Um, there's a back and forth for a couple of minutes, a nice middle rope suplex with a roll through for a pin by Bagwell, but Fleur is up again, uh, just as he's a master. And Bagwell finds himself in a figure four and taps out, and that is literally it. Did you see the spring, um, the slingshot body splash that Bagwell attempted on Ric Flair? No, I didn't see that. No. Yes, uh, I, I would say go back and watch it. Right now, Flair gets his knees up, which I think was meant to happen. Yeah, I saw him but get when, his knees up, but I didn't see the move yeah, before it. When Bagwell went to do that springboard body uh, body splash, that's what they tried to sell it as. I think he was trying to do something else. Because he gets his feet caught up on the top rope and just lands. Oh, right. I think he was meant to do, like, uh, a senton. Because we've seen him do that. Yeah. We've seen him do that a few times now. So I think he was trying to do a senton, and the knees were meant to go in the back. But, no, he completely whiffs it. He gets his feet caught on the rope, and he just falls flat. <laughs> right oh. into Ric Flair's knees. And, to their credit, to Ric Flair's credit, is that he didn't back out of that. He's like, okay, you fucked up. I'm just going to put my knees up anyway because either way, it's going to look like it was planned. Yeah. So, great ring awareness on Fleur. Yeah. But, yeah, what the fuck, Bagwell? I don't know. <laughs> I will. I'll go on. i have uh, another look at that, I think. Um, But, yeah, not 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 the best match in the world, really, was it? There was some... I mean, the crowd seemed to, seemed to enjoy elements of it, so... It was what I call decent, but yeah. not good. So we're currently seeing uh, Ric Flair holding the figure four on while the referee's sort of been down and outed by a, a right hand. Uh, but here comes Macho and there goes Flair. Literally, there was no shots whatsoever. Meanwhile, Dillinger and a referee try and hold Macho back, which is to no avail. Um, I thought it was I thought it was a decent showing from Bagwell, other than the, the couple of spots that he kind of managed to botch. Yeah, I, I, I will say he's got a very good clothesline on him as well. Yeah, he does. Like, it's really you mean. Know, when, when he's really putting the pace in, it... It does look pretty vicious. Yeah. And again, he did another good drop kick in this. I mean, you can't really say any, anything more about his drop kicks. They're, they're consistent. Yeah. They're very consistent. I've got to admit, I did miss, I did miss the drop kick. I must have been I must have been typing, so that must have been the reason why I missed that. Um, I gave it a seven. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so into the main event here, we're going to have Stingle Nuguru, the WCW Tag Team champions versus the road warriors which is the uh, match that sting wanted to sign a couple of weeks ago um and they're going to get their wish uh i think i definitely prefer the red and black spikes and you know the the, the protective gear as opposed to this blue and black stuff the blue and black stuff genuinely looks like they are going out there to just play an nfl game really yeah. um well, that's the thing like when i when i remember seeing images of uh the road warriors in wcw this is like when i was a teenager i just got the impression that they were dressed in blue because they weren't in WWE. It was WCW, and it was like, kind of like a branding thing. Like, oh yeah, yeah uh, WWE is red, WCW is blue. 
But do we see the mirror's not blue? No. At all? No. Yeah, we, at all. We talked about the we, ring we map do... like prior, didn't we? And that was yellow. Uh, that was blue yeah. and yellow. But Yeah. Yeah. And I can see where you're coming from. Right now, it, it, it's not like they've got blue ropes every week. Like It's not like the Nitro logo's got a lot of blue in it or anything like that. It's No, their, their colour is red. Yeah. You know, if you want to associate a colour with Nitro or WCW at this point, it's red. Yeah. It's very... It's the same as WWE. So, I'm... I don't, I don't know what they're trying to do. I really don't. I mean, their, their branding has always been red and black with, you know, splashes of white or whatever graffiti, but not blue. Mm. Maybe, and I'm going to, I mean, this is completely just shooting in the dark, but maybe somebody said we need to sort of tone down the red a little bit because the red is synonymous with you-know-who. Mm, maybe. Yeah. Anyway. But then they've still got, like, lots of red on their face paint. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a little bit, isn't it? But if I you mean, if you come well, out like wearing half red in your fucking half, attire, well, ha- uh, Hawk's face is half red, half black. Yeah, but what I mean is, it's it's just his cheek, isn't it? Yeah. If it was but like, could have just gone all out and just painted it blue instead. I could do. Yeah. No, that's why I look at it. It's like if you're just gonna like change your whole outfit to blue, then get rid of the red on your face as well. Just paint it blue. Yeah. I mean, Animal can get away with it because he always had like a little bit of different like. You know, uh, things in his in his face paint, but Hawk, when you when your branding is that face paint and half of it is red, and you're changing your outfit to blue, which used to be red, change it to blue as well. Come to think of it, is is Hawk's face paint not the same as uh, Mosh uh, from Mosh and mm, Thrasher? I, you know what? You might be right though. Yeah, I'm gonna right. I'm going to Google search that now. Uh, <laughs> whilst we're on her, you know, unprofessional and all that. Mosh, WWE. Uh, well, actually, you weren't thinking of Mosh, you were thinking Thrasher. All right. But, and, uh, no, it's not the same, but it's similar. Right, okay. There you go. It's been a long time since I've even thought about Mosh and Thrasher. I think the last time I thought about them was, like, 1999. WWF <laughs> Attitude Game, something like that. Yeah. Same um, as everybody else. Hmm. So in this match, we get uh, a few big LOD chants again. Uh, Sting and Animal are going to start off, and Animal looks so much better than he did uh, against the Faces of Fear last week. I think it's probably Sting's agility that probably helps make Animal seem much better. Uh, he, he just he, So he throws him about way more than Meng and Barbarian are even going to fucking contemplate throwing themselves about for Animal. Uh, Sting gets a face plant off, and the two tag teams... Uh, swap partners basically in the ring and now it's going to be Luger and Hawk Luger attempts a power driver but that's the last guy you ever want to do that to you uh, Hawk just gets straight back up and just gets absolutely fucking cleaned Luger's quickly out again kind of like cowardly and Sting's back in uh, likely to take most of the matches it usually goes with these two Sting sends Animal in and Lex drops the rope to send Animal out of the ring very cheaply so the storytelling here is basically uh it's pretty good, to be fair, when you're looking at it from, from, from an outsider's point of view. Lex will do anything to win a match, but Sting has respect and integrity. And I, there was something just, uh, as I was thinking that, actually, there was something that I've never seen before on a WWE Network thing, which was a, due to a technical difficulties. This is presented in its most purest form or something like that. Yeah, and what then happened was, it was like a, a VHS, like, uh, yeah. scratch out. Apparently... Uh, there was a power cut. Yeah, Bischoff tells us that there was a brief power outage, so everything yeah. went out. Um, 
it must have been very brief because Luger didn't even move. It was in the exact same bloody spot he were when the power went out. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was milliseconds, if anything. Um, yeah. Which which got me to thinking actually of the, um, the the times that I've ever seen like a power outage at a wrestling show, and I'm pretty sure TNA had one. I know they had a fire. Oh yeah, fucking uh, and Don West sold it like it was a massive thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. There was a power out in one of the uh, WF in your house pay per views. It's actually quite synonymous because Steve Austin was facing Savio Vega at the time, and they put on like you know the uh, generator light. And they had that, so there was a little bit of light in the ring. Yeah, it was practically dark, and they still continued with the match. Wow! Yeah. And the uh, what the cameras carried on running as well. Apparently so, yeah. Wow! Fucking hell! Fair play. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, uh, a bit of a rarity. And, bit, and actually, now that you mention it, I think it happened at um, WrestleMania twenty four. I think. Um, I, I couldn't tell you what match it were, but I do remember like the the whole set had powered off. Uh, the way a power cut it were just enough to turn the set off the ring lights off and all that but they still had the floodlights from the stadium beaming on yeah. I think it were a Triple H versus Randy Orton match so it might not be Wrestlemania 24 but it it were I think it was that yeah but uh, yeah so they just basically had the floodlights beaming in to the ring Yeah. Um, it actually gave it quite a unique look mm. I would say but yeah apart from that I can't really recall any other power cuts I mean, it's a shame there can't be more power cuts in wrestling right now, particularly when it's fucking Raw or SmackDown. <laughs> you may get your wish. Uh, Sting's wearing Animal down. Uh, he tags Lex in, and Lex, he, he just gets a little bit too big for his own boots here, and Animal gets the advantage. Uh, Jimmy Hart is down with some sort of weapon. Uh, he's, he's run down. I think it, I think they said it was like a weight, a weight or something like that. I can't, I can't fucking... uh, yeah, apparently it's a, uh, a weightlifting belt. Right, because he dropped yeah. it, and it's legit. So he's dropped it on the steps, and you can hear it fucking, it's like metal, and it's just clonk, 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 like that. But um, Bischoff does say it's lead at first. Yeah. See, now it that's, looks nothing like lead. No, that's what I thought it was. I thought it was the lead that they give you when you go to for x-rays and stuff, but I don't know why yeah. they have that there. Anyway, <laughs> um, so Jimmy Hart's initially dropped it because Animal's confronted him, but Lex grabs it uh, and hits Animal in the back for the pin. Um, they win, but once again, Sting is not best pleased with these tactics to win matches. Uh, Gene is in, and the Warriors want another tag team title shot due to the result of this one, and they say whoever the goddamn winner is of Sting and Luger and Harlem Heat at Super Bowl. Fair play to Hook here, he's actually just promoted the you know, the tag team match at the fucking pay-per-view. Um, we go to the commentators who plug Super Bowl, Super Bowl again to close it up, just like Hogan's eye. Uh, the rating for this two point seven to rolls two point nine and uh, what would you what would you go for here, Brian? I mean, personally, uh, I, I think I preferred the last nitro to this nitro, but what would you say? I would hundred percent agree with that. Yeah, especially with that mess of a match because that match wasn't great to finish off. No, um, very very sloppy. Um, just seemed to be a bit all over the place, no coherence at all. I had to put down what the fuck was that. <laughs> So, obviously, when I was watching that this afternoon, I wasn't very pleased. No, no. Uh, no, there wasn't anything strong on here, really, was there? There was there, there was potential with uh, Arn and, and Pillman, but then that's just become some sort of Pillman, Sullivan loving, really, which is just yeah. basically... I, I suppose it's promoting a pay-per-view match, but it's also... It annoys me because I know Sullivan's the booker, and he's... We, we're talking about Pillman here, and we know that you know, he's got ability, we know that his character is just like fucking shit hot at the moment, 
and it's almost as if he's like, well, I'm going to butt myself against him because, you know, he's the biggest thing right now and it'll, it'll do me loads of favours. But, yeah, just, just a shame, really, because you've got, you know, you've got Sting and Luger, tag team champions, and things should be a little bit better than this, and they're just not. Well, the only thing that no. we can take out of this, though, is just, I think, Ric Flair, just Ric Flair, just talking about shit art, just Ric Flair. Really good. Really, a real highlight at the moment, I think. Yeah, definitely. I actually uh, texted you saying uh, Ric Flair appreciation text. Yeah. Um, and that's because uh, that was actually when he was doing the, the commentary at the end of the last episode where he just sits down with a headset on and he's just screaming into the thing. <laughs> yeah. He, he is probably the most entertaining thing on, on Nitro right now. Yeah. So the raw results here, uh, Shawn Michaels and Diesel defeating David Boy Smith and Yokozuna, who were accompanied to the ring by Jim Cornette. That happened by a count-out. The 1-2-3 kid with Ted DiBiase defeated Hakushi and Bret Hart, the um, WWF champion, faced off against The Undertaker, who was uh, accompanied by Paul Bearer, and it ended in a no contest for the WWF championship. Um, there was two more of these segments with the billionaire Ted thing. So the first one I'm not entirely sure about. The second one uh, I actually watched just before we started recording this. Uh, it features a closing segment in which a printed ad was shown which was set to run in several major newspapers claiming that Ted Turner was wasting millions of stockholder dollars in his personal vendetta against the WWF. McMahon claimed that they were showing this in spite of a threat of legal action, but I don't actually think there was anything of the sort. They say that WCW is Turner's plaything and even go as far as to have him say, quote, I want to own everything so when I die and I see my dad again, I can tell him to kiss my ass." Wow. So there you have it. Shots fired over the bow again. I have nothing to add to that. Nothing like, to add to that whatsoever. No, nothing to add. One thing I do have to add to you, Brian, is um, congratulations, buddy. We hit over 100 unique listeners of the Nitrogen podcast now. Big, big congratulations to you, my friend, uh, because we fucking would have thunk it. Yeah, I, I didn't expect this uh, <laughs> to be... To be what it is, I, I, I did expect it to be um, a hobby. I didn't expect it to be a hobby. You know, I have a handful of listeners and hope that it would grow, but I have that little thought in the back of my head that it might peter out at some point. But no, we'll just keep going from strength to strength. And yeah, I welcome aboard any new listeners. Yep. Thank you for listening. We keep going, we keep growing, and. Um just join us again next week because we're going to do a live watch along I say live uh, we're doing a watch along episode where you can join us for Super Bowl 6 it's going to be um, it's going to be interesting because I know tonight that I haven't had a beer I know that Brian has but I think I'll have a beer for that one and um, if it's anything like the Clash of the Champions 32 we're going to have one hell of a fucking time so please do join us for that one and we'll give you details of the competition that we keep alluding to on that podcast because now we have gone past 100 unique listeners the idea was for us to have a competition to say thank you for you guys listening in and we will detail that on the special podcast coming next week for Super Bowl 6 and I know that I haven't given all the details for all the social media but if you don't know it now you haven't been listening long enough you haven't been paying attention fuckers yeah <laughs> exactly we'll see you again soon for another Nitrogen podcast trip the light fantastic